Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, will you please open them up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. A very common passage, but we will be looking at that a little later. We'll be unpacking that text and a couple of other ones as well, but um, that is one we uh, kind of hits home the theme for today. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 um, and 30. Before we get cracking, let's just open up in a word of prayer, commit this time to the Lord as we, we want to hear from Him. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that as we gather together, You promise that You'll be with us. Um, and so, Lord, we come confidently this morning knowing that You have a heart for us, You have a, um, you have a desire for us to meet with You. Um, Lord, You've been speaking to us clearly this year that we must seek Your face. And so, Lord, we ask as we unpack Your text as I speak, that the words that I speak would not be my own, but yours. That, Lord, our hearts would be ready to receive, that you'd speak clearly to us, that we would know you, and that we would come away with a deeper desire that's been stirred up in us for Jesus. That we would have a hunger and thirst for you, Lord. One that results in action. One that we go, as Mark has uh, just read, that we will come and taste and see. Not just hunger and thirst, but taste and see. That's what we want. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, Alyssa and I have had quite an incredible week this last week. Uh, we have moved, um, which has been really great. My grandfather subdivided his house um, in two. My, just before my grandmother died, he decided that it was a good idea. Um, they were just kind of staying in their room in a little section and had this massive house. And he just thought, man, we don't need it. So he's going to subdivide it and rent it. Um, and he came to Alyssa and I and he offered it to us to say, hey, we can come and stay there if we would like. And it was just a no-brainer. Um, we, we went from one bedroom to two bedrooms. We had a big lounge now, a big kitchen. Um, and we get to be with my grandfather and he gets to be there uh, with us as we uh, start the new journey of baby to have family around. Just made a lot of sense. And my grandmother died about a month and a half ago. So we get to be a support to him. Um, so God's timing was good. It was great, and we've been really, really blessed to be where we at. Um, but having said that, there's one awful thing about moving, um, and that is moving. <laughs> I absolutely hate moving. It's awful. I despise it. They're having to pack boxes up and to get it all going and to move. And we decided to do this this last Monday. And you, those of you who know this, this week that we've had in the church has been hectic. Right? We've had prayer and fasting for five days. We had my, on, on Tuesday, I started cricket practice as well. I do a bit of coaching on the side. And on Wednesday, we had the, um, the prayer meeting at night. On Friday, we had the praise and worship. Saturday, we had the church summit uh, day. And on Sunday, I preached three services over at, um, at Sterling. And Alyssa will tell you, on a normal average week, when I preach three services, I'm a grumpy pants on a Monday. I, it's a good thing that she goes to work. Because I get to deal with all of my stuff and be happy a little bit later when she gets, gets back. And we decided to move on a Monday. Oh, man. Awful. Awful. And, and Alyssa's pregnant, so she can't help really with anything besides moving the odd thing here and there and the light thing. So, um, and any husband actually knows that it's not great to have your husband uh, your wife uh, with you when you pack. Um, it's great for the extra hands. But... Everything that you do, somehow you just do it wrong. And so as you pack things away, you pack it the wrong way. 
And this is how you should be doing things. So I was a little blessed that she wasn't there. She was at, at work. But man, we started at hopper six that morning. I was up packing my first box. And we went flat out the whole day. Or I went flat out the whole day until Alyssa got home a little later that eve afternoon. And we finished off at around about half past eight that night. Man, 14 hours of a slog going at it, packing, absolutely broken and shattered. I, there, was, there was a part where I was down in my grandfather's combi, and right near the end of the move, I'd been using his combi, and we could take all the seats out, and I was trying to get this one single seat back into the, into the slot, and I just couldn't. It takes like four people to do it, and it has just me. And I was on my knees, down, Lord, help me. I don't know what you tried to teach me, but I, I, I'm willing to learn it. <laughs> Would you please just tell me what it is, and I will learn it right this very second. It was awful. It was awful. And you think after 14 hours of moving that you would be done and dusted. And that's not the case when it comes to moving. It just meant that I took all the nice, neatly packed stuff, put it into boxes, and threw it everywhere in our house. Everywhere is a mess. And I'll be honest, it's nearly a week later and we're still not finished unpacking. And there's a, there's a part of me, and I don't know if this is with you, that when I came home each day after work, I'd walk into the house tired, ready to rest, and I'd walk into this mess. And every part of me was just uncomfortable. Just feeling at unease that there were boxes everywhere, that things weren't done. Our nursery is a dumping ground. Baby's only coming in April. Like, we don't need that room. So we just put everything in there, and, and there's this unease about it. And there's two kinds of people. You either like Alyssa, who walks in after a busy day of work, uh, tired, but looks around at the mess, feels uncomfortable, and gets cracking. What can I do? How can I get things done? And starts unpacking things. Well, for me, you can be a person like me. I walk home, need to sit on the couch. So I take the box that's currently on the couch and I put it on the dining room table. And I sit down and rest. Uncomfortable by all the mess, but I just don't need to do it now. I'll, I'll do it later. I'm just needing to rest. And the reason why I share this pain with you, this, this trauma that I've just experienced and still kind of am experiencing, is because I feel that life is very similar. That there is... Often times in our lives where we feel cluttered and, and stressed and at unease, uncomfortable, and we just feel that there's this need for us to get rid of stuff, to pack things away, to get our lives back to a place, man, where there can be a sense of peace, where there can be a sense of comfort, where we can just unrest. And, and there's, funny enough, there's seasons, right? We do this, beginning of the year, we we, New Year comes along. What are we going to do? We make New Year resolutions. This is, what we, this is what I'm going to do this year. This is what my life's going to be like. I'm going to make some changes. But there's a lot of us who are like me. Actually, a majority of us are like me when it comes to life. We want it to be done. We just can't seem to ever get it done properly. And so, how can we, is what we're going to be focusing on, have a clean slate? How can we find this rest that we really long for? This, this comfort that we really, really want. How can we be the lissers of life that come in and pack things away and get things sorted? And how can we be less joeys of life and, and just let it go and, and not ever get to that comfort that we uh, really, really want? Well, there's this guy named Bob Black. Bob Black makes, uh, 
1985, he wrote uh, an essay and he argues on how he feels we can experience less suffering and how we can find discomfort. And, and the title of the essay gives it away. He calls it The Abolination of Work. He says, he says this, that no one should ever work. Doesn't that sound fantastic? Work is the source of nearly all the misery in the world. Almost any evil you'd care to come a name come from working or the living in a world designed for work. In order to stop suffering, we need to stop working. Well, that would be fantastic. Man, most of us, if we were given the opportunity to have a life of ease and pleasure without working, we'd jump at it right now. Yeah, I'll take that. No work. 50% of our waking life is done working. So is Bob Black right? Is, is work a curse? Because work is tough, right? Or at least, man, there's some blood, uh, sweat, and tears. And I'm only talking about working in a church. I don't even know how hard it must be working with you guys. And your second world being teachers, how tough that must be as well. But if work is tough and difficult, is it a curse? Is it something in which we need to stop? Because if that's the solution, according to Bob Black, if that is, man, if that's what we need to be doing in order to experience peace and comfort, then we're pretty much in an impossible situation, right? Because I don't know about you, but I can't stop working today. Because while I might maybe experience a bit of comfort for a while, the next thing I want to be experiencing is starvation. So I can't stop it. I might be, be pulled into court because I haven't paid my bills. And so there's this need for us to find something else. Because if Bob is right, man, we're hopeless. We're never going to find what we're looking for. We're never going to find this comfort in which we need. It can only be found in something else. But what does Scripture say about work? Let's look at it. Um, Ecclesiastes verses 3, um, 12 to 13 says this. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink, and here it is, and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. What an incredible verse. That it is possible that in our toil, that in our work, that in our striving for something, that we are able to find a satisfaction. That in this life, there is this possibility that we can come to the comfort and the rest in which we long for. Now, I've recently learned that last phrase, that work is a gift. Some of you might know and some of you might not, but I've been, until the beginning of this year, been unemployed for six months. Um, uh, I resigned from Sterling because I felt that my time out of Cambridge West was, was done and dusted, prayed about it with the Lord a lot and just felt um, at, at peace that my time was done there. And so just felt the Lord saying, okay, Joe, you can resign. And so I did, but there was nothing to come which is not really wise, I might just add, not having work to come. And so I had one or two possibilities that never really came out, and God blessed me with a, a couple of little odd ends of jobs to bring some income in. But I learned that work is a gift, not only because it's a, for, uh, a form of provision. And I just want to encourage you, some of you might say, I don't feel ever that the Lord comes to my rescue in provision, but sometimes He provides for us with work. But not only... Is that a gift from God because it brings us an income in which we can feed ourselves and pay the bills? But I also realized that being unemployed, there is this real sense of purposelessness, if there's a purposelessness in it. This lack of who am I was one of the questions I really started to ask myself. This lack of unease because there was nothing for me to achieve. 
And so coming back to work, what I have learned out of the 13 things that God spoke to me during that season, one of them is that work, there is a purpose to it. There's not just coming in on a, in, on a Monday just so that I can finish off at five. But there is an outworking of it. There's a purpose to the work in which we do. And when we have a purpose in this outworking of this as thing that we do, man, there's satisfaction in it. This is the reason why I am doing this thing, not just trying to finish it off. And and quite frankly, God actually models this with the gospel. God just didn't make creation one day and, and just leave it to its be, but rather he had a plan and a purpose. There was a purpose in the creating of this world and and the purpose of creating of us. From the beginning of time, God had planned that he would send his son Jesus to die for you. That he had a plan that he would come and rescue us, that we would worship him and, and we would know him and experience the life in which he had given us. Even Christ's life itself required work in it. It was tough. There was toil. Man, he, he was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired after busy days with the work. He was persecuted. He was mocked. But even he had an actual job himself for a majority of his life. His father was a carpenter, so it's more likely that Jesus grew up doing carpentry with his dad as well until he started his earthly ministry much later on for just three years. So Jesus, we see in in Hebrews 12, it talks about how Jesus endured the cross. There's this difficulty to what God was doing. There was this enduring that he had to do, beaten beyond recognition, had to die on the cross and knowing that he would bear our sins upon him. There There was difficultness to it. But there was a purpose to it. There was a purpose to the end of it. The purpose was that those who would believe in Jesus as a result of him taking away our sins, that we might be saved through it. And so here we see Hebrews 12 continue on saying it was with the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. There was this joy that Christ had, this joy that he knew that was coming, that we would know him and that he would receive glory that he endured the cross. God models it for us. And so we can know that there is purpose to the work in which we have. And so what we've got to realize as well is that God has given us a place, a purpose in what we do. He has given that to us. You see this in Ephesians 2 verses um, 10. In this amazing chapter, amazing chapter and an amazing verse in that chapter, it says this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, which we would work with, uh, work in. We are his workmanship. We are the workers of God. He has given us work to do. He has planned it before the foundations of the world that there would be work for us to do. Man, I love the NLT translation of this. Um, it says that we are the masterpieces of God. Isn't that great? It, it shows us value to it. We are valued and loved by God. We are his masterpieces. But the thing about masterpieces is, particularly when it comes to paintings and other areas, they're only properly achieving its purpose when it is displayed for all to see. And while we might be the masterpieces of God, we only achieve the purpose in which we have done when we start to do the work in which he has planned for us. We earn that title of masterpiece when everyone gets to see what we're doing for the glory of God, when we fulfill the plan and purpose that he has made for us. And so that we can know that we have been 
placed by God in the areas that we are in right this very moment to know that we are here because God has placed us here. There is a purpose in why we are here, church. I'm talking about even in a a local church setting. There is a reason why you come in fellowship here. God has placed you here so that you might use the giftings that you have. So that you might help equip the body and that you might glorify Jesus. He has placed you here for a season, for a purpose. You have it. I'm not going to mention the children's ministry thing, but that would be great if God's talking to you about that. Man, you're here for that reason. You have been placed. You have a reason. You have a purpose. But not only just in a church local setting, but also in our everyday work. The work in which you go to and spend the majority of your time at, God has placed you there. For a reason. The places you go have fun with, the bowls that you go and play, the, 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 the guys that you hang out with, whatever it might be, God has placed you there for a reason and for a purpose. And I do want to say that there are times and moments in which we experience hardship and difficulty, and God has placed us in sometimes in those difficulties because He will use it for His glory and that in His good. And may I, I do want to clarify, I, I'm not talking about some social, social injustices that are being done to us. I'm not talking about, man, if you've been abused at home, that that's okay. Or if, if you know that your, your business partner is robbing you blind, that that's fine. Man, you have every obligation to get out of there. But to know and be comforted by the fact that in our hurts, in our pain, in the scars that we bear because of life, that God is able... And in his godness, in his sovereignty, in his grace, in his love, he is, he is able to make that and use that for our goods and for his glory. He's able to take out of what is pain and what it might seem as defeat and failure, and he's able to use that for victory. God can do it. And I, and I say that, church, in, in light of what we've just gone through as a church. Man, there's been some tough, difficult moments and seasons that we've just gone through. But I am convinced, I am sure that God is able and is using it for our good as His bride and for His glory. I am convinced of it. I say that in light of uh, Peter and Anne coming across as the eldership couple. That they haven't just come across as just because Roger has gone to Cape Town and and Matt has uh, moved over to the main campus. But because they felt the call of God to come here. That this is God placing them here because He loves you. He cares for you. I say that in, in light of Alyssa and my appointment coming across here for the next, at the very least for the next six months. Knowing that we have been placed here because God wants us here because of you. Because He cares for you. Not just a willy-nilly appointment because someone needed to do the job, but because there is a purpose, there is a plan, and God has us. There is this comfort that comes with knowing that God has us in His hands, that He's got us. And so be assured, church, that each and every single one of us has a plan for our lives and a purpose in it. Whether you're tired or at work or whatever you might be doing, God still has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. And there is this rest that comes, even amongst the toil, that comes with knowing that I am doing what God wants me to do, and He's with me every single step of the way. I'm comforted by that. 
we have this rest. And if let's turn to our, our passage in, in Matthew in Matthew eleven, we'll be finishing off with this. We're going to take four sections out of here, and we're going to talk about those briefly. Let's read Matthew eleven verses twenty eight to thirty. It says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that amazing? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. That's what we want, the rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The first verb in which we see what we're going to look at is the the verb come. Jesus says, come to us. Come to me. And there's this amazing thing about this word come here is that Jesus is giving us a, a personal invitation. It's not just a, a general one. It's not just one. F- I mean, it is a general one, but it's not, you know, it's not one for specific special group, but it's for all people. All who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And may I suggest to you that those that don't need this calling is because they've already come to Jesus and found the rest. That all of us are burdened and heavy laden. So there's this call by Jesus. And it's a, it's a personal one in that he's not just saying, come and stand in line and the first person will come and help you. But he's saying, come to me and I will give you rest. And there's this comfort in knowing that we come to Jesus himself. That he is the source of the rest in which we find. And this doesn't mean that there aren't any toils and difficulties. We've already discussed that. But there's a sense when we know when we go through the speed bumps and the and the difficulties and the valleys that come in life, that there's a comfort knowing that Jesus is there. There's a comfort that I am with Christ, that I have come to Him, that He is the one that is my source of my rest. And so even when it is difficult and tough, I know that in the midst of the chaos going about me, Jesus is with me. And there's a rest in that. There's a peace in that that comes with that. The second one is that Jesus says, Take, come and take my yoke upon you. The word yoke here is a, a farming illustration that is used of uh, a yoke that would go on two cattle. And so that when the farmer plowed, he, the cattle would stay together and he could control them and make sure they went in the direction that he wanted them to go. And there's this yoke that he has. And Jesus says, come and take my yoke upon you. But what you've got to understand is the context in which this is spoken to. It's spoken to a, an ancient Jewish people who had the Pharisees who put a heavy burden on the people. They, they expected people to live up to all the laws and traditions in which they had. There are 613 Old Testament laws. That's, that's a lot. And on top of that, the Pharisees would come along and say, but you need to live like this, you need to do this, you need to do that. And the people felt overburdened and overweighted by this idea of, I have to live up to the standard in order to be righteous. But Christ says, come to me and I'll put my yoke upon you. For it is easy in life. Jesus says, come to me and I will, I will give you righteousness. Come to me, my righteousness will be imparted on you. This is the beauty of the cross. Is that Christ takes our sin away from, him, uh, from us and puts it on him. And takes his righteousness and puts it on us. We call it imputed righteousness. A fancy word. But when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin anymore. But he sees Jesus' blood. He sees his righteousness. And there's this freedom, this ease that comes in knowing that my standard of living does not determine whether or not I am saved or not. But my 
Christ and my belief in Jesus determines whether I'm saved. There's this freedom and rest in that. And you might say, Joe, there's no freedom because I've got a yoke upon me. How can I be, be free? And, and, but the, here you've got to realize that there's comfort in knowing that God leads and guides us. There's a comfort knowing that He's in control. It's a comfort that knowing that we are His that comes with it. Man, life is difficult and tough and, un- and confusing. How comforting it is to know that the King of Kings is the one that is in control of us, leading us, guiding us, making sure we go on the right path. There's comfort in that. And it's light and it's easy. The next one is, Jesus says, learn. Come and, come and learn from me. The beauty of this is that Jesus is the great teacher. That he comes and he, he teaches from experience. He, he's lived life. He's experienced the difficulties. And so we can come to him knowing that he understands from experience what life's about. He understands how we can receive rest. He knows it. And he gives it. He says, come and learn, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And lastly, he says, come and find it. Church, the only way we are truly going to find rest is in Jesus. It's the only way. Is coming to Christ and he gives us rest. Only in him. And you might say to me, hang on, Joe. Man, we just spent 20 minutes talking about how we can find comfort and rest in purpose. You just spoke, if I have, that work is a gift and there's purpose in it, and in it is rest. You've just said that. So how can you say it's only in Jesus? Because, church, we can only find the purpose in which God has given us in Christ. And that is the only way we're going to experience that work is a gift, that life and the purpose that God has had for us, has for us, is in Christ. It's the only way we're going to experience it. And so we have to come and pursue Jesus. To come to Him, lay our burdens before Him, take up the yoke in which He has for us, learn from Him, seek His face, and there we find the rest. Because it's in that we start to find purpose. Does that make sense? Oh man, we have to pursue more of this Jesus. And the beauty of it is not we're just going for a goal or this point, but we're coming to know a person. This relationship, this, this, this person that we get to know more and more. And it's not all about striving and it be difficult, but there is comfort and peace. Sometimes we, we go, man, I have to pursue this Jesus. It's tough and difficult. There are difficult moments, in it, but there is comfort and joy and peace that comes with it. That's what he offers when we come to him. Let's seek him, church, because in him there is rest. Let us pray. Father, we are just so thankful that you have created us with a purpose. That we are just not left aside to just do whatever, but there is a, a purpose for us to live that will um, echo into all of eternity. There is stuff that you desire us for t- to do that will affect the growth of your kingdom, that will glorify your name. That, Lord, you look upon each and every single one of us and you call us your masterpieces. Lord, we pray that you will help us to live to that full potential. That we would find the purpose in which we have. That we would be able to know this Jesus more and get to know the purpose in which we have more. Lord, we desire rest. We desire comfort. 
There is toil and struggle that comes with this life. And Lord, at times we try to carry it all alone, all alone. But Lord, we just want to lift it up to you in prayer and say, Lord, it is yours. Take it from us, we pray. May we have the light yoke that you give. May we find the rest for our souls that you offer. I pray for those, Lord, that don't know you this morning, that there would be this need for you that burns in their hearts, that they would understand Christ in a way that is saving, that they would give their lives to you. For those of us, Lord, that need to be stirred up, we're but dry and weary, that there would be this renewing in our hearts for more and more of you, that we'll come and taste and see. We just pray, Lord, that you would just move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.